my skin I've got you Deep in the heart of me So Welcome everybody And it's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast And we were collaborating Saying, you know, with all the stories we talk about The good guys, the bad guys How about the guys in the middle? Meaning the attorneys Who get to live the life with these people because they're out having dinner with them, they're defending them, and they can give us inside scoops on them. And uh, we put a list of people together, and um, the end of the show, we're going to tell you who we picked for next week to be our first guest. So as a teaser, Pat, Megan, Pat, introduce us and tell us who you put together and who we're going to talk about. Okay, we're going to be talking about mob lawyers, and that's a term that is often used uh, in a derogatory manner, which uh, is not the case. Everybody is entitled to a defense. No matter what you're charged with, you're innocent until proven guilty. And just because you are an attorney and you defend somebody in organized crime doesn't make you a member of organized crime. In fact, I would say the experience that I've had over the years, some of the best lawyers are the ones who have defended organized crime figures. Is it that this is the cream of the crop of the criminal law uh, area? Now, you are not to confuse the term mob lawyer with a term called house counsel. And a house counsel is a mob lawyer who has crossed to the other side, where they become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And there have been attorneys, and we'll be talking about one in particular, it has been accused of being a house counsel, uh, but in my opinion, and a lot of people who have uh, been in this life or have observed this life for a long time are aware that he was called a house counsel so they can get rid of him. He was defending John Gotti because he was winning too many cases. Uh, so we're not uh, going to uh, label this attorney a house counsel because he is not. He is a very competent lawyer. And he's still That's, alive, so we got to be careful. And, and, and he's still alive. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, he's also uh, an actor. He's been in quite a few television shows and uh, a couple of movies. Well, we're going to tell you. What, I'm going to tell you the role I got for him. Major okay, role when, with Bobby De Niro later. When we get to his name, right? You'll you'll find that uh, when someone an attorney is labeled a house counsel, they they wind up getting arrested and doing time. So we aren't talking about those people. We're talking about the people who are good, successful criminal lawyers. That said. Mm-hmm. We have a list. Uh, you want to start, Gianni? Or no, no, you Megan? do. No, you and Megan okay. do it. Take it away, Pat. We have five. This is not necessarily in any type of order. An attorney by the name of David Breitbart, uh, who has been around a long time. In fact, all these people have been around a long time. You don't graduate law school and become a uh, an attorney that represents organized crime figures because you have to know what you're doing. Uh, and these th- these guys have been around a long time. And uh, inherently, the term mob lawyers uh, are are only men. You don't find women uh, lawyers that I know of, Johnny. Perhaps uh, you can correct me. That's interesting. The only the, uh, there's only one woman I know, and it's it's not a mob lawyer. She's a drug lord's lawyer, <laughs> a very heavy. But, okay, but they for the for the, uh, for the type of people we're talking about. Yeah, they, they yeah they want they want yeah, men generally all men. But, David Breitbart defended everybody from uh, Nikki Barnes, who was a uh, 
very well-known heroin dealer in, in all uh, man during the 70s late 60s and 70s he uh uh, represented the Bonanno crime family and various uh, made members there, including Joseph Messino. Uh, he's been around a long time, uh, and he, he and keep in mind, of course, that this isn't the only thing they do. They're just good lawyers in their own right. And when when you're facing the type of time some of these organized crime figures are facing, what would RICO, which gives you an automatic 100 years, you want the best. You don't want to get convicted. You know, there's an old saying, I'm sure Gianni can back me up on this. Uh, these guys say, well, I, I can do five years standing on my head. Yeah, but they can't do 100 years standing yeah. on their head. So they go to these guys, David Breitbart being one of them. So well, yeah, you know, the, one of the things we should do, yeah. uh, even for the people like Megan, who's not around this life, it's, it's a situation when the RICO Act was originally put into to the system, no one really used it. And it wasn't until later on Giuliani started it. And why you've seen so many rats in the past few years is the RICO Act now, if, if you get convicted on a RICO and your wife and your daughter and your sisters, everybody lives in great houses, once he's convicted, they're going to come to you and say, how'd you pay for this house? And if you don't have the answer... And the bank books, they're thrown out of those houses. Used to be the mobs did the 10 years on their head, 15 years on their head, no problem, because their wives were taken care of. They still lived in luxury. They still drove the cars. But even though it may be in your wife's name or your daughter's name, they want to know how she paid for it. And then if they don't get her on that, they'll the feds will come in and threaten them to prosecute them on income tax evasion because how are you living in a million dollar house and you're a secretary in New York? Rico changed everything. Yep. And uh, to, to give Giuliani credit, and I don't give him credit for a lot, he was a damn good uh, prosecutor and he was a damn good mayor. And right. he was the first one that had the, uh, let's call it intestinal fortitude, to use Rico because everybody was afraid of Rico, the, the, uh, the, the prosecuting end of it, was afraid to use it because they figured the, the, the sentences were so draconian that their cases were going to get tossed. But Giuliani said, I'm going to give this a shot. And he broke the back of organized crime. They're still around, but uh, he seriously hurt them with Rico. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, that's when they, they got, they, and from him doing that, they got more convictions because more guys flipped. Most of these cases are broken because of somebody turned state's evidence and, and went into the witness protection program. You know, they were, from the old school, and Gianni, you know most of these guys, uh, the uh, the Joe Watches of the world who wound up going to jail, I'm sure they were they were offered deals. He didn't take it. Oh, no, Joe. Joe would never and, take and, a deal. And, and there are others like him. They'll do 25 years rather than take a deal and talk. Those days are gone. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to let our audience know, Joe Watts is not even in the life because he's a German. But he's a gentleman's gentleman, and uh, when he accepted it, he he fought everyone and never took a plea deal. Give me my time, I go do it. It's it's amazing, but you know that and that's one guy that I know personally. But there's so many out there that really just was hit by this Rico so bad, 
and, and a lot of guys that who we all read were supposed to be stand-up guys and this and that, and they started flipping. I mean, it, it's crazy. And major so guys. You're looking people. at that kind of time. You want the best. Yeah. And the best. Uh, there's also uh, uh, Joe Citizen who also wants the best and go to these attorneys. Right. So I that, that term mob lawyer always rankled me because I, I I knew some of these guys. You know, they were just good attorneys. Period. Right. Oh no! And like uh, you said, they they built the reputation in the courts on regular cases, straight cases, but their winning records. Yeah. And getting less time for people, when you're shopping around for an attorney, you're going their, their names are coming up. Absolutely. Uh, you you want to take the second on our list, uh, Megan? Yeah, absolutely. So clearly, I'm not the expert on this uh, topic. So I'll just be referencing notes that I got from Pat before the show. So our next one on the list is Frank Regano. Am I saying that correctly, Pat? You are. All right, and I'll let you add anything that you want at the end, so I'll just start with this. Frank Regano was from the old school. He defended mobsters when they still ran much of the country, men like Santo Traficante Jr. and Carlos Masello, and Union Big Jimmy Hoffa. Back when JFK was shot and it seemed feasible that La Cosa Nostra was in on the hit. Did I say feasible? According to Regano, the mob definitely whacked the president of the United States. He claimed that a few days before his death in 1987, Florida mob boss Santo Traficante Jr. confessed to him that he and New Orleans mafia leader Carlos Masello had arranged the murder. It was a mistake. Traficante confided, Carlos Masello screwed up, he allegedly said. We shouldn't have killed John. He should have killed Bobby Kennedy. That's right. Uh, Johnny, is Regano still alive? Uh, I, I don't know that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wondering why he would say something like that. Yeah, me too. I don't know that. Jesus. Yeah, uh, but regardless, uh, he was one of the, the one of the big name uh, mob lawyers. But let me and ask you a question. With, the, with, yeah. with what you just asked me, still wouldn't that be a client privilege? Yep, violation. So it was a violation, but it was a violation then. Obviously, he was around in in, in 1987. I'm just wondering if he's around now. But what I'm saying is, if he didn't say anything, how is it a violation? He he would have to go to the the government and tell them that? Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's client privilege? Right. If there's a crime, you have to go. Really? Yeah. I better stop talking to my lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. You can't conceal a a crime. This is where House Counsel comes in, but we'll we'll get into that after we go through our list here. Okay. Uh, Number four, but number three, this is your buddy. You want, you want to take this guy, Johnny? Who? Jer- Jerry Shargell. Oh, my God. Well, Jerry, to me, and I just had lunch with him. In fact, uh, I, I, we, we were conferring, all of us, Megan and Pat, and I, I really was hoping he would say yes. But this guy is so pristine and, and so on. When I mentioned it to him, his ego was, well, I really want to do it. I've been listening to podcasts. I want to do it. And his wife was sitting next to him. He says, you are never <laughs> going on his show. With your clients, never would happen. And then he thought about it. He says, she's right. My, my client list alone, I, I could never talk to him. The only time I talk to them is in, you know, confined my office or in their cell. To mention their names, I would never do it. Everybody knows who they are. I represent them, but I can't. So that that was interesting because, you know, 
there's, we have a lineup of people that uh, we're going to have on. In fact, I, I, we have one that's a prize that we're going to mention who he is going to be the first one. But uh, no, but I think Jerry now. I mean, I don't even his retainer. It's got to be seven fifty to a million dollar a retainer. They get him to wow. talk to you against against. I think it's fifteen hundred an hour. I think it's twenty two oh five now. I, I can believe it. But he has a team, so he yeah. has people less than that for fives. You, you, yeah, when, he, when you start he, cheering it up, he brings in a team. His investigator team alone, Jimmy. Yeah, Hawkins if you want to talk to the boss, you pay the boss's rate. Yeah. If you but if you want to talk to an associate, but it's in his firm. I would venture to say that the the associates rate is at least a thousand. Yeah. These are lawyers that you don't call up to ask a question. No. <laughs> well, they won't lawyers, they won't answer the phone unless you send a retainer and they start drawing well, from it. These lawyers in in in, in this uh, uh, stratosphere, they charge by the hour. All lawyers charge by the hour, but uh, these lawyers will charge you in fifteen minute increments. If if you call them up to ask them. What day it is today? I'll tell you Wednesday. You get a bill for twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, it's first. What, any part of the fifteen minutes? That's it. Yeah, and then a lot. Well, I have a lot of attorneys that you know. I know them well, and they, yeah. they they tease me all the time. And I'll ask him a brief question, and he said, "Well, why don't we talk for five more minutes or ten more minutes?" <laughs> yeah, it's your he time. Says, why? He says, I, "You already bought it." <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they also charge to make uh, copies. Oh, anything. There's yeah. nothing moving on. Wow. Oh, yeah. 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 But, uh, no, but Jerry is, I, I would think, I mean, uh, uh, there's a few names like LaRosa and Jerry. I mean, that's the cream of the cream. I think Shargeld uh, today is the preeminent, forget mob lawyer, one right. of the preeminent lawyers in Manhattan. That's saying a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 How old is he now? Um, I think he's 10 years younger than me. He's 67. All right. Yeah, he lives right up the street up here. No, I yeah, see. I, I, I don't think we, we can we can have this conversation without mentioning uh, Barry Slotnick. Oh, Barry, young man, another legend. Barry, uh, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I met Barry when I was like, I was twenty five to be exact. Coming came back to New York to talk to Joe Colombo, and I found out that he was the lawyer. For the anti-defamation, Italian anti-defamation league, Colombo put him on the job, and he was just starting out. But just him representing that family, he rose to fame pretty fast, and now he's retired, fortunately, in great health, and he's he's conferring with a lot of other great lawyers and a very close friend of mine, Al Malnick. They see each other once a week for lunch in Palm Beach, and it's like. These are the, the the giants of the industry. I mean, that are, you know, Malnick represented Maya Lansky. So let's go that far back. I, 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 don't, know if, I don't know if I ever told you this, but uh, Slotnick represented me. Oh, you told me that. Yeah. Uh, uh, a TV movie was going to be made about my life, and it got to the point where it was serious talk. He called me. So this must have been when he was just... I don't know. This had to be like 85 or 86. He was already in business for a while, right? Right, yeah. I think by then. But anyway, he called me out of the blue personally and said, uh, do you have any, any representation? I've been reading your story. And I don't have to go into my story. It's not important here. We're talking about lawyers. 
but he says, uh, it really moved me and, uh, I like to represent you and, uh, I'm not charging you for this. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's funny. He just didn't talk the talk. He met with me, uh, Sonny Grasso was, uh, producing. Right. And we go to the, uh, to, uh, to the, to the lead up to the, to the film. We went, we used to go to the Friars Club every week. That's and, nice. Uh, uh, Ahmed Asanti was signed to play me, and my former good wife call was, too. Yeah, yeah, we had a little resemblance. I like Ahmed; he's a good man. And uh, my former wife was going to play by an actress by the name of Margaret Collin, who, if you saw uh, Independence Day, she played she played the uh, the president's uh, chief of staff, and she's been in she's been around forever. Yeah. And of course, as these things go, uh, they were all set to go, and then all of a sudden, nobody heard anything. So, is, is Barry always had a flair. It's funny that you should mention that because Barry, Barry read the galleys of of this book that you and I have before. I oh, really didn't know that. Yeah, Be, yeah before we, you and I got into it and blew it yeah. up. But he wanted to represent it across the board, and he yeah. put one of his one of his literary guys in his office on it. And uh, I said, "What is this going to cost me? Is it going to cost you when we get it pr produced?" Yeah. So that, that's, no, he was, that's the kind of guy he was. He, a, a great guy. I mean, I was a young cop. Uh, well, not that young. In fact, I was most set to get out. But, uh, well, I was in my late 30s. Uh, but what a gentleman. What a nice guy. I mean, he'd right. do anything for you. Never asked anything. Always there. Always calling you back. Always keeping you up to date. But he represented uh, quite a few OC guys. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, uh, well, I, I, one that I was very close to, and, and we touch on him a lot of times because of the uh, Frank Sinatra. He, he basically controlled Frank and was told to, and that's uh, Louis Priscilla, Louis Dome. And in fact, uh, Barry rep represented Louis in the Westchester premiere, uh, big skim on the, uh, the tickets. Really, a multi-million dollar case. A lot of guys went to jail. They thought Sinatra was going to go to jail, but a couple of people said he knew nothing about it. And uh, but you know, he, he was a powerhouse. Uh, Barry was a powerhouse at a relatively young age. He was in his thirties or early forties when he was representing me. Well, yeah. Well, I'm so I'm saying because uh, I, I, he was a young lawyer when I met him in. 1970-71 and Joe Colombo. I don't know how Joe found him, but he, he took care of the league and was writing all these uh, briefs and everything else against the FBI. They were picketing the FBI building. But he got a lot of publicity right yeah, away. Yeah, he did. He did extremely well. Yeah. I, I, I like Barry. He's a good man. Uh, we're going to skip uh, the person who was accused of being house counsel and go to Oscar Goodman. Oh, my God. Oscar, uh, I knew You, you know him well, Johnny, so why don't you talk to him? Well, the, um, how I knew Oscar well, uh, probably one of my premier enemies of the world who really hated me. I'm talking about deep hate was a guy called Tony Spalatro. And when he came to Vegas, I think it was like 74 or 75, he came in with the guidance of Sam Giancana out of Chicago, who was the, the street boss by name 
of the outfit in Chicago, but the real guy was Tony Accardo, always was. And uh, they thought they needed a guy like him. Nobody knew who he was other than the mob in Chicago. And I, I don't want to say it was the higher echelon. They knew about him and that, he, you know, he can handle himself, fortunately. But when he got to Vegas, man, he, he got bit by the bug, man. He was dressing and going out with showgirls. And then he put a whole crew together, headed by a Frank Collada, who just passed on. And it was called the Hole in the Wall Gang, because these guys were professional thieves. And they were known for cutting holes in walls and roofs. And that's how they did their stuff. But he, so, he so was, uh, was Oscar Goodman his lawyer throughout? Oscar is his lawyer throughout, and then after they, well, anybody that saw the movie Casino, that was Joe Pesci's character, and Robbie uh, De Niro played, played Lefty Rosenthal. Oscar Goodman played himself. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh Oscar Oscar was in one of my movies, did I, Bruce? In, uh, he, oh, he, uh, it's one thing about these lawyers, they, they're born actors because they're always approaching juries and selling the, you know. They, they know what they're doing. And Oscar approached me in a movie that I did in Vegas called For Which He Stands. And uh, it was interesting to me because I, I had Ed McMahon as the governor of Nevada and I had <laughs> Oscar Goodman as the mayor. And he was the mayor. He was playing the mayor of Nev Las Vegas. And he really was the mayor. <laughs> he was a mayor for a while, right? Oh, my God. Well, not only was he there for a while, he was there for 8 or 12 years. And then when he decided to retire, his wife ran, and she's still there. She's still a mayor. Still the mayor. She's, his, wife, his wife was on national television and, you know, didn't want to close down Nevada. Yeah. The, go the governor forced her to. Oh, oh because, of, because of COVID, you told me. Yeah. Unless yeah. she's still there. No, it's crazy. No, I, I, have, we, a, we I have a history with Oscar. We don't touch from Oscar anymore. Is he still around? Oh, my God, yeah. Still around, very coherent. I just saw him. And, and, well, you, you, you didn't come with me, but when we had the signing of our book, they had it, which is a funny story. Megan, you'll love this story. Mm. They had it at the Mob Museum, who that was Oscar's brainchild. He took an old federal courthouse, got the state to give it to him to create a mob museum as an attraction to, to, to Nevada because, you know, the, the history of Bugsy Siegel and all the gangsters that supposedly were there and now, you know, Tony Spilatro, and they got it on. So I was so enamored that they wanted me to come there and do my book signing there because I knew of the place, obviously. And, and he was there that night. And, and the funniest thing is, anybody that knows me would know my humor. So I come out on stage and the place was packed, fortunately. And it was the real, it was the original galley in the court. It's a federal courthouse. They made a mob museum out of it. So when I came out, I said, what can I say that would be funny? And there were friends of mine that knew me forever. So when I came out, I said, you know, it's really nice to see you here under these pretenses. And they were looking at me. 
I said, you know how long they've been trying to get me in this courtroom? <laughs> <laughs> they busted out live because it was so true. Very they, true. They had warrants up for me, and I just disappear and wait for somebody who, you know, let, let, you know, Senator Reed or somebody that we knew to take care of it. But to be back there, but to answer your question, I mean, Oscar Goodman, and to have Tony Spilatro as a client, and then like you know, having that reputation, he was starting to represent a lot of mob people too. And then and he, he, he wound up being the mayor anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah it, was, it's it seemed like everybody loved the guy. No, he's that guy. He's yeah. your neighbor next door. He's the guy you want to go fishing with. He's just a, a good guy and a smart lawyer. Very smart lawyer. Well, we saved the best for last. Well, not the best, but the, the most uh, infamous, shall we say, was Bruce Cutler. Oh, my God. Cutler uh, gained fame by defending John Gotti numerous times. And, uh, well, th three or four it was. Right. And uh, it was because of Cutler that John Gotti got the nickname the Teflon Don because the charges couldn't stick to him. Little did they know at the time that uh, uh, two of those cases, uh, it, well, in one of those cases, a, a juror was paid off, uh, and the idiot takes the bribe money and he puts it in the bank. <laughs> that, that's like doing that. Doing I, re I remember that case. <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous can you be? So he he was called out on that. And the other case, uh, uh, Gotti, and it's just just to show you how he was thinking. He gets locked up for assaulting um, uh, a truck a, driver over a parking spot or a minor accident. Right. The book to the Gambino family He's getting involved in this. And Cutler represented him throughout all this. Cutler is a very colorful guy. I mean, he's a street guy. He's a these Dems and those guy. He's barrel-chested, bodacious, loud. And when he got up in front of an audience, it was like he was defending his mother. I mean, he gave it everything. And he became famous through John Gotti. And you know him, Johnny, for a while. I met the guy oh, on oh a couple of You said he was... Uh, uh, well, what happened, with, what happened to him, he started to... He loved the life. You know, he was out with John every night. And now he's starting to dress like John. You know, the suits and the matching tie and the pocket square. I mean, he could afford it because John was giving him all kinds of money in these cases. But he himself, I think he actually believed he was this great attorney. But as, as history would say now, you know, when John had these cases, a lot of the witnesses didn't show up <laughs> to testify mm -hmm. against him. So well, the guy, beat a lot who, the guy who he, uh, the guy who he allegedly assaulted, got on the stand, after filling out a complaint, after talking with the DAs, after getting prepped for trial, he gets on the stand and says, "John, who? Got he what? That guy never saw him." <laughs> so I that know. Was the and and they because and they, of, as you said though, that the the big part about that guy's trial, he was grandstanding in the newspapers. Even then, yeah, it was crazy. He was beating so many cases, and at the time they didn't know that. Uh, that no, I'm talking about the truck driver. That's that was so Cutler weird about that case, because the truck driver I mean, himself, I don't care who he is, he ain't gonna scare me, and 
Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> that was the end of that. Somebody made a phone call yeah. and said, you know, he, he got the word that he's not going to testify. But the uh, uh, the, the, the uh, prosecution, the, the various prosecutors were so embarrassed because they couldn't anything on Gotti. They went after Cutler, not legally uh, or not criminally, I should say, but they had him deemed house counsel which I thought was extremely unfair. You can't beat a guy, so you want to get rid of him, which is what they did. They said, you're a house counsel. You're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution, and you have to go. So he wasn't permitted to be Gotti's defense counsel at the last trial where Gotti was convicted. But do you know how that happened? We all know, you know, he went to prison and he died in prison. But uh, uh, Cutler was not permitted to defend him. But do you know how the the prosecutors got that on? Do you remember? Pardon me? Do you know how the prosecutors got that on to prove that he was house counsel? You don't have to prove anything. That's the problem. No, they did you, prove you, it, you though. You prove things in court. No, they you, proved it, Pat. You make innuendo outside of court. They just labeled him house counsel. There's no such crime as house counsel. You can't charge a person with being house counsel. He did just said, you're house counsel. That was it. He couldn't fight it. He couldn't defend himself. No, but and they had he, him on. He had that label. They had him on tape for consorting when they would tape in Mary's apartment two floors up at the Ravenite and John was talking about Sammy, he's getting too powerful, we gotta whack him. Cutler was in the room. Cutler. And when you said like you he was supposed to report that or be disbarred. Well, the point is if they if they had the, the least thing criminal on him, he would have been charged. I mean, so, but you know, talk is cheap. Look, if, if he was going to be charged uh, with a conspiracy charge, there would have to be an overt act. I can say I want to whack you. I can't stand you. I'm going to get you. Unless you commit an overt act, buy the gun, put gas in the getaway car, something, you can't be charged with conspiracy. So they didn't have anything legal on him uh, or criminal on him. So they just labeled him house counsel. Which all you need is the label, and he was gone. And then... He's still around. He's not as, as famous or infamous, whatever term you no, want. No, but he was able to keep his light, he, law license and all that. Oh, yeah, no. He's just, yes. And people still hire still him because, yeah. But the funniest thing. Yeah, oh, no, he's, he's doing quite well. I, I don't believe he represents OC guys anymore. No, 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 no. No, but the interesting thing, no. I, I, I get, I get cast know. in a movie called 15 Minutes of Fame. And it, it was a famous movie. It was uh, Bobby De Niro was a fire marshal. And Bobby was still playing himself. But the fire marshals went in for you know arson. He was an arson investigator in this movie. And what I loved about the script, about, I would say, 45% into the movie, which you never saw in a movie before, or I never saw it, they killed the star. They actually kill. Oh, he gets, he, gets, he gets tied to a chair. Yeah. And 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 to the death. No, that that movie was called Fifteen Minutes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, he shot the hell out of me that they would kill off the Nero. Everybody, and that's what I loved about it. So now I'm talking to to the producers who I knew and all that, and they said, yeah, yeah, why we picked you, Johnny? The way you dress and you, you, you got to think Bruce Cutler. And I, you know, I'm, 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 I really wanted to do this, 
And then something came up that I couldn't tell the world, but I had to leave the country. So I called Bruce Culler up. <laughs> and I went to the producer. I said, you should bring this guy in. Let him play himself. And they looked at each other and said, wow, that's a great idea. Bruce Culler played himself in that movie. Did you know that? Yeah, well, you started an entirely new career for him because the guy's everywhere. Oh, I know. You see, he does a lot. And he plays, he plays himself as a lawyer or he plays a, a, a lawyer with a different name. Right. He's around a lot. Uh, he does a lot of acting. Oh, no, but I, I, everybody loves him because, you know, like the Soprano shows, these kind of shows, they, they love real guys. You know, as far yeah. back as I can remember, even in The Godfather, when, when they hired Lenny Montana... Lenny Montana was a famous wrestler. Then he was too old to be a wrestler. He was a collector for the Columbos. He would collect, go out and threaten you and collect. And then Coppola saw him. They do what you know, man. And they brought him, brought him yeah. in to play Luco Brazzi. That was Lenny Montana. It's, it's, it's so crazy. And, and then they tried to do that with, well, you know, in The Sopranos, they brought a lot of guys they said were real guys, but... The guys, I don't want to mention names that they brought in, the, what they were doing on the street. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so happy about to be exploited that way. But, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. And these are just a handful of people that we're talking about. And um, I'm sure Megan, who, who does a lot of research, when you start to see, and like we talked about, the lifestyles of these top attorneys and the money they earn a year, it's insane. You'd want to send all your kids yeah. to be illegal, you know, go become a lawyer. But we should know. have we should we should have one of them on our show. What do you think? Hello. What a great idea. What a great lead in. What a great <laughs> segue. <laughs> this is why I get paid the big money. Yeah. So this is what we're gonna be doing to our audience who are, you know, a staunch fan and will understand it. We have one of the most decorated lawyers coming on next week, and he happened to represent and friends with John Gotti, Carmine Jr. Persico, I mean, Galanti. This guy is a real, real guy. He's he a real thing, Mr. And he and happens to be a, a very close friend of mine for many years, and still is. And his name is Matthew Mari. So look him up, and next week, Matthew Mari is going to be on the show, God willing. And yeah, he's, uh, a great, he's a great guy, a great guest. Be sure you tune in. Set your calendar for this one. Right. So before we go to the mailbag, tell your friends we got Matthew Mari on, famous mob guy. We want our ratings to go up with this one. Mob lawyer, not mob guy. I mean mob right. lawyer, I'm sorry. Let me correct that. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. I get him disbarred next. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. You don't have a career in it. Yeah. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, 
Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneBuyInItalian.com That's CorleoneBuyInItalian.com Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are on paperback and are available on Amazon.com. I've been a PI for 30 years, and these books are based on my cases. Enjoy. Are we ready for the mailbag, my darling? I think we are ready. All right, first one is from Darius. Darius says, thank you so much for everything. I'm on my third time listening to the book, and it never gets old. Gianni and Pat, I love how your experiences being on both sides play off of each other. It may surprise you how many fans that you have here in Utah. You've talked about the rats leaving the life. There are two that I admire for how they left. Sammy the Bull, because he left, because when he left, he went out with a total F you and gave them all the finger. And Michael Francis, because he was able to walk away without taking anyone down with him. Are there any others that you know that left the life in style? Well, the two uh, guys just you let mentioned. Me say something about yeah. Sammy the Bull. I, I, I was reading in today's, today's paper. Sammy the Bull is the technical advisor for the uh, for a movie about the mafia cops, we did a show on them. Right. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, oh, he should Victor be. He knew that. Papacara. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's he, he technical advisor. They quoted him in in the article. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. No, but that's uh, what yeah. happened. But I I was going to say, those two guys are the only guys that basically because of social media have now a life after life. Michael did very, very well. I mean, Michael made a lot of money, and he didn't go out like a Sammy did. I mean, Sammy went in the witness protection program, and then we, who people know him and don't know him, he had problems after that even with a, you know, a, a state offense in Arizona for ecstasy, and now he's a famous guy. But uh, hey, my hat's off to him. You know, it's like finding religion and saying, I'm going to clean up my act. Thank God they did. But um, Utah, huh? <laughs> There's a, yeah. My man, Senator Arnach. And, da- <laughs> and Darius goes on to say, thank you guys. I anxiously wait for each new episode. Megan, you are so fortunate to be able to spend the time that you do with these guys. Take advantage of everything you can learn from them. Trust that's me, Darius, we, I do. That's why we, that's why we keep telling her. Uh. <laughs> she doesn't believe us. Oh, of course I do. We are the best, Megan. Don't forget oh, that. Oh, I know. Don't worry. You listen, your will. Thank you. <laughs> oh, will. You're going to be alive All to right. collect? <laughs> <laughs> You're very optimistic. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next is from Rick from Canada. Rick says, hey, Gianni, Patrick, and Megan, thanks for all your great work sharing these amazing experiences. My question is for both Gianni and Patrick. You've both both lived lives and have had careers that have been filled with some pretty intense moments. I'm curious if you ever had an experience that made you almost give up the life. Patrick on the force, Gianni in the life. Was there ever a close call you experienced or a friend who met an untimely end? Was there ever something that made you throw up your hands and wonder if maybe you should just leave your careers and open a sandwich shop or something? All the best could listen to the stories all night and sometimes do. You go first, Pat. 
Uh, the, the first thing, there were so many times where I wanted to leave police work because it's, it's, it's thankless. And I, I thought so back then. Now, oh my I, God. if I was a cop, I would walk in the door and i turn around and walk right back out again. But, yeah, right. but the time that affected me the most where I really thought about uh, hanging it up, uh, January 14th, 60, oh, 72, I believe it was, uh, uh, Foster, uh, Gregory Foster and Rocco Laurie, the two police officers out of the 9th Precinct, which is in the East Village, black and a white cop, were uh, walking a foot post together. And I was in a tactical patrol force, and we also worked on foot. It was, it was in January night. It was freezing. And uh, we overlapped. They, they were bringing TPF into an area that had a very high crime rate augment the uh, the precinct cops. My partner and I walked past Foster and Laurie. We were going in opposite directions on a side street. Waved hello, how you doing? Kept right on walking. About an hour later, I'm sitting in a coffee shop on 14th Street. Yaya's. I'll never forget this night. My dying breath. And we hear over the radio, two cops shot on that street. Those two cops, Foster and Laurie, that we just passed. Black and a white cop, and I was with a, uh, I was with a black cop. I'm white. Oh, my gosh. Black Liberation Army. And you can talk for hours on that, but I won't. Uh that sole purpose was to murder police officers. They sent it primarily in the NYPD. It was a very rough time on the job. They chose them. Wow. Assassinate, and they just didn't kill them, they mutilated them, horrible. It could have been me. Yep. Wow. But, and, and while we're talking about the, uh, the people in uniform, you know, but when we, when we reflect on it now, and what's going on now, uh, Obviously, Pat and Megan and I and our families, we have tremendous respect for anybody oh, in without uniform. Saying, without, you know, I don't know. You guys, I don't know. And, and ladies on that job, I don't know how you do it. But anyway, that's the closest I came because, you know, you're, you're young. You feel like you're never going to die. I mean, I was uh, very young. I was 27 or 28. And uh, you, you feel like you're invincible. But you have to have those thoughts to join a unit like that. It was all voluntary. And, uh, but that hit really close to home. And I, what am I doing here? What, what, this is insane. That funeral was the biggest funeral uh, well, uh, for the uh, for the both of them. St. Patrick's Cathedral. Oh, wow. Uh, 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 Rocco Laurie was buried in Staten Island. By the time the first car of mourners arrived in Staten Island, the last car had not left Midtown Manhattan. Wow between 50 and 100,000, I forget what the exact number was, of cops from literally oh all the world. There was cops there from London, France, everywhere came to that funeral. And it just, it made, it, it took me a while to get over that and talking about it now, I don't know if I ever got over it. What a tribute, mm -hmm. what a tribute. Uh, and so that's that's my story, what's yours? Well, my, mine is a lot different. And who's this gentleman? Was it a gentleman that asked this question? This was Rick. Hey, yeah. Rick? Uh, Rick from Canada. I love Canada. Oh, Rick from... <laughs> <laughs> there you go, making up for it. But Rick, right. and to all my audience out there, I want to clarify, because I, I heard references to me about that life. I'm the only guy that's not in that life. I'm very close to the periphery of it, but I, I'm not, was never in the life. 
I had the pleasures of living like I did, the respect from the people that were in it, and I, you know, graciously had a, a marvelous life. But my situation, you know, with they, I was just crazy. Why did I walk up to that customer in my club? That's who I am. When you're in my club, I'm going to protect you. The guy slit my throat. I don't know that, you know, I didn't know he was attached to Pablo Escobar. And that's happened to me so many times. I've been shot, run over, stabbed. But would I give up my life? Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I love my life. It's part, it's part of the game. It's, it's part of the excitement, but actually. I'll agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next is from Jeff. Jeff says, hi guys, huge fan of the show, never miss a Wednesday. My question is for Gianni. One of my favorite characters in The Godfather is Tom Hagen. I heard that Tom Hagen, the character, was based on former Teamster lawyer Sidney Korshak. Is this true? Yes, and Sidney Korshak was one of my closest friends. In fact, if you read his book, Super Mob, I'm in about six or seven chapters as a young man. I, I retained him at the age of 17 by the advice of Frank Costello, and everybody knew him in Hollywood, and Mario Puzo knew about him, and he was like Mr. Fix-It, and that's what Tom Hagen did. You know, the old man would tell him, a nice Irish go, you know, go, and uh, go talk to Walt at the studio and tell him to give Frankie Ta Frontaine that, that bar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was definitely Sidney Koshak. All right, well, Jeff goes on to say, were there any other characters in The Godfather that were written with real people in mind? Sure, a lot of them, oh, yeah. right? Oh my God, well, The Godfather, I think we spoke about this because Mario, Mario and I got close and uh, the Don himself was three real Dons. I mean, the olive oil guy at that time was Joe Pafacci. The Pafacci was the oil king. And Gambino was the character that you saw on screen when you saw Brando in the garden with his grandchildren. You didn't, he, a nice old man, man, in Brooklyn. In the morning, he'd be in his garden with his tomatoes and all of that was true. And then the line in the movie where they said, uh, I think it was at the meeting and the sit down saying to the character, Don, Don Corleone, you have all the mayors and the politicians in your pocket. That was Frank Costello because he did run Tammany Hall. So it was a combination of three people just playing Don Corleone, three real gangsters. Hmm. All right, well, lastly, Jeff says, where would you go in New York to have a suit made? I'm in my 40s, but always get dressed regardless if I'm working or not. I would love to get a suit from Gianni's suit guy, if possible. What a timely question. Funny you should ask. <laughs> Funny you should ask. There is a new line of clothes coming out. It's being introduced. <laughs> it's being introduced. Now you got it, Megan. Now you see how salesman I am? It's, oh, I know. It, it's being introduced in February. And what's it going to be called? La Cosa Mia by Gianni. No. Yes. <laughs> now, aren't you glad I wrote that letter, that email? <laughs> oh, that was you? No, he's that kidding. No, but seriously, no, no. sir, hold on a minute. You're going to save a lot of money. It's all affordable clothes. 
I have shoes, I have everything. Remember La Cosa Mia by Gianni, be out in February. You'll see it everywhere, believe me, I tell you that. Uh, a shoes, jackets, pants, the whole bit? Everything, accessories, everything. Belts, cufflinks, well, gonna, ties. Is, is there going to be a, 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 like a flagship store, a main? Uh... What, what we've decided to do just this week, there's going to be one or two major flagship stores. But what we decided to do, not to get tied with the brick and mortar, we're doing pop-up stores for one month uh, in every major city, renting stores that are going to be available, like on Madison Avenue, because there's nobody in them. We're going to do pop-up stores, do all yeah, social media, all social yeah, pop -up media. pop-up shops are very popular. And we don't get tied it, it with big leases. A lot, of, a lot of buzz. Oh, my God, yeah. And the good news, I'll be at each one of those pop-up stores. For the at month. the same time. Yep. This guy, this guy oh, no, no, no. Can... I'm doing one a month. I so There'll be 12 cities a year, and I'll be there two hours, three hours during the day of that while we're in that city. Taking measurements. No, no, no. I'm doing that. Fitting. No, no, no. Not. All of it. He does it all. <laughs> Hello, goodbye. How are you? Yeah, yeah, Kiss you the babies yeah. and all that. Have a cocktail. Yeah. But remember that name, La Cosa Mia by Gianni. All right. Yeah. Is that a wrap? Uh, not quite yet. Oh, okay. We have probably, probably room for one more. Oh, no, I thought you said that was it. Okay, please. Oh, no, no, no. Um, okay. I think this is the last one. It's from Stephanie. Stephanie says, hello, everyone. What a great podcast. I am retired, and this really helps fill my time. When I was in my 20s, I lived in Tampa, Florida. I met a, name, I met a man named George Courtner, who owned all of the Holiday Inns in Tampa at the time. He was a lot older than me at the time, but we became close, and I got the feeling that he was connected to the mob. My biggest clue was one time he was in the hospital, and a friend named Maurice came to visit. Maurice owned a stereo store in town. George jokingly said to me, hey, if you ever need anyone taken care of, see Maurice. I do not know Maurice's last name, but I got chills. Not long after that, I backed away from George. At the time, my ex-husband had a problem on the interstate going into work. He pulled off the road. And all of the lug nuts on each tire had been removed except one. Holy cow. It scared me silly because I was in the process of reuniting with my ex. In your professional opinion, was this a failed hit? Listening to you talk, it brought back that memory. For all of the women that are attracted to the mob, beware. It was a warning. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, uh, I could, there's only one guy, and he's a gentleman, and, uh, and they were talking about him earlier. Santo Traficante Jr., that was all his territory. So if he created a couple of Maurice's, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> yeah, but they wouldn't uh, try to kill somebody that way. No. That's a warning. No. That's, That's a warning what I'm sign. saying. It's got to be an idiot. Whatever you're doing, don't do it again. Yeah, it's not yeah. a professional <laughs> thing, you know. That's the guy who had jealous lover because mm. she jilted him. I don't think she's telling us the true story. You could write us another email now. And we, <laughs> won't, we, won't, read it and, and we, we won't do it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, boys, that's all I have for tonight. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Again, to our audience, I say it every week and every week. I mean it more as our ratings go up. Tell your friends. Write the letters, the emails. Tell us what you want to hear. We're going to create shows based on mailbags now, which we're doing, you know, constantly. So we want to thank you. Be safe. Be careful out there. Wear a mask, unfortunately. Uh, Gianni, what's the name of your clothing line again? La Cosa Mia. 
Ah, okay. I, I, I forgot. Oh, okay, I know. Thank you for that plug. <laughs> and what's the name of your new book, Pat? <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Love you all. Hey, Good night, Johnny. Good night, Megan. Great Good show. Good night, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit Amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night. But then again... Too few to mention I did what I had to do And saw it through Without exemption I planned each charted course Each careful step Along the byway But more, much more than this I did it my way Oh, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off more than I can chew But through it all, when there were doubt I ate it up and spit it out And I stood tall and through it all I did it my way I've loved, I've laughed and cried I've had my share, my fill of losing And now, as tears subside I find it all so amusing To think, I did all that And may I say, not in a shy way Oh no, oh no not me I did it my way For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he is not To say the things you truly feel And not the words of one who kneels The record shows I took the blows And